0: have been, um, in our sermons, in our worship service, we've been studying through the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And this morning is the last installment in Revelation. So we are finishing that series this morning. Um, we've been on this for about, I guess with Advent counted, we've been on this for about five months now. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, the text is there in the, in the order of worship. And we're going to start in Revelation chapter 2, and then we're going to skip into the, the last chapters. By the way, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to say hey to a friend of mine who's here, uh, Jeff Dryden, to my left. Um, he was here for uh, Ben Cameron's wedding. Jeff and I were in seminary together at Covenant Seminary. And uh, my, I told him this last night, my first memory of him, uh, he started a year after I did, is just him coming into the theological library on our campus and just sitting and just piling books around him the first day, and just in bliss. And uh, so it wasn't surprising to find out that he, he went on uh, after seminary to get a, a PhD at Cambridge University. So just for contrast sake, like I went on sabbatical and I pretended to be a Cambridge student. Okay, fake, real. Authentic, not authentic, okay, pretend. But um, but anyway, it's great to see peers go on and do cool stuff like that. And uh, after his doctorate, worked uh, at Labrie in the UK, and that's where he met Ben, and uh, is now a professor at um, at uh, Covenant College. That's our denominational college, Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. So it's pretty great. So glad to see you. Um, again, Revelation. We're going to be uh, one verse of chapter two, and then the last two chapters. You know, already in the book of Revelation, there's been this dynamic that really in some ways is, is, is all through the Bible, especially in the New Testament. But there's some places, you, you, we've really seen this going through Revelation. And it's where, it's a dynamic where the people of God get something because of what Jesus gave up. For instance, you know, we, uh, in Revelation chapter 4, you see the throne room of God. It's one of the great visions. It's really the, the first big vision after the letters to the seven churches. And at the end of that, uh, excuse me, at the beginning of that, Jesus, the voice of Jesus, is saying to John, come up here. And you know, when we looked at that, we said, why why would a sinner be asked into that room? And the only answer is that the, the reason that any of us can go up there, go into that room, is because Jesus left it. Now he went back in, but he had to leave it so we could go in. Um, all through Revelation, the people of God, and by that I mean just Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, have been called priests. How do normal people like us become priests? Uh, because Jesus became a sacrificial lamb. He became the sacrifice so we could become priests. Uh, we looked at this cup, this uh, cup that shows up in other places in the Bible. It's the cup of the wrath of God. And it's not the cup we want. And how the scriptures say god 's people get the cup of blessing. Why do I have the cup of blessing because god Christ took the cup of wrath and drank it for me, just that dynamic over and over again i 'm getting something because of what he gave up at great expense the cost of his life well we 're going to get a, just one last biggie of that of that kind of dynamic here at the end of, of revelation, and just I, I just want you to think about this we 're going to read. not just the final chapters of Revelation, but we're reading the end of the Bible. It's the end of the Bible, and it serves the most most amazing bookend to the first bookend of the Bible, and that's the Garden of Eden. When everything was right, and then this whole Bible where so much is wrong, and then what's the final bookend? Starting in Revelation chapter 2... Beginning in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Chapter 21, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David." the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are so personal and so real that we can say that you're the one who's walked with us through um, these months of looking at these texts from this book. We know you always walk with us, but there's something about just being confronted with these visions and these images that are unnerving or that we don't understand or are confusing or are enticing, where we have felt the need for your help. And so thank you. Thank you for sustaining us, and please, just as we close this series, as we and as we continue to worship you, um, would you dig out ears that can hear, and would you tenderize our hearts so that they heed? And we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. A few years ago, a friend of mine told me about a book that he had just read, and um, you may have heard of it. I don't know much about it, but. The title of the book kind of caught me when he when when he told it to me. He said it's the name of the book is "You're Not Sick, You're Thirsty." You're not sick, you're thirsty. And uh, as as I understood it, the thesis of the book was that there's just an entire bundle of of health problems that our our culture is plagued with, and that we medicate, and we you know we're trying to address, but that for for he would maybe say all of these health problems. The, the root problem is that our culture is underhydrated. We don't drink enough water. Now, it's kind of dangerous to use examples like this, by the way, in rooms like this, because then there's, there's somebody who's read it, but then they read the counter book that debunks it. And I just want to say I have no emotional investment in this book, okay? I'm pro-water. <laughs> I think my record speaks for itself on that. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-hydration, and I vote. But, uh, but you know, but I I was fascinated by what my friend had to say. Is that you know this guy's thesis is up underneath things, whatever, chronic fatigue or insomnia that made my ears perk up, or uh, or this health problem or or that health problem is just not getting enough water. In other words, this doctor would look at a lot of sick people and say it's not so much that you have this kind of headache or this kind of uh, problem with your stomach or whatever, you're thirsty. Your body's letting you know you're thirsty. Even if you don't feel it, you are. John the Apostle, who God used not only to write Revelation, but um, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and maybe the most famous one is the Gospel of John. It's the Apostle John. You know, if he were talking to us and, and just listening to our lives, and he heard us say, I just, I can't, I can't stop working. Even when I'm not working, I'm working. When I'm not emailing, I'm emailing in my head. When I'm not reading work texts, I'm reading them in my mind or I'm wondering what's piling up while I'm not reading my my texts. And I go on vacation, and by the time I'm actually starting, the, the knot is starting to untie, then it's time to go back to work. I just, I can't stop working. John would say, you're thirsty. Um... I can't, I can't, I can't stand for someone not to like me. If someone disagrees with me, or they make me feel by their tone of voice that I've let them down, I can't shake it. It's it's just velcro. I can't let it go. John would say, "You're thirsty." I know it feels like your main problem is that you're a workaholic or that you're, 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 your skin is too thin, you're, you're thirsty. And we could just say it about behavior after behavior after behavior. And here's the amazing thing. Not, not starting in Revelation, but going way back in the Scriptures. One of these powerful ways that God conveys what He does, what He offers to needy people like us is He says... If, if you'll come to me, if you'll trust me, I'll give you some water that will actually quench that thirst. Because nothing else is going to do it. And it may seem like what I'm offering you is not the answer, but I'm telling you, I know you. And I understand your thirst. If you'll come to me, I'll give you the water that will make your thirst stop. Well, That that metaphor, that image just comes to an incredible culmination at the end of the Bible. Because here, you know, we've been going through this, If, if you haven't been here, is there's been just a lot of dramatic stuff and a lot of good versus evil and these scary images and then some really strong stuff about hell and judgment. But then the book ends on the heavenly existence of God's people. And it's on earth. It's not in some ethereal place. It's on earth and it's earthy and material and physical. And there's this image of the city. But what's in the city? And this is a big deal in Revelation. Water. And it's the water that we really want. And we've already heard about water in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4, that the throne room of God, when, you, when John sees God on His throne, in heaven, this is not the new earth, in heaven, there's this crystal sea in front of Him. Just beautiful, still, delightful, clean. And then in Revelation 7, it says that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the shepherd and He'll lead His sheep to springs of living water where they can be refreshed and drink and they can finally rest. But at the end, the image is that heaven comes down from God to earth and earth is heaven. And you might say, the throne no longer has a, a just stationary sea in front of it, but the sea becomes mobile. And it goes out from the throne and it goes through the city, and the people of God, the thirst in this definitive way is quenched. It's an incredible image. So, I want, I want to look at two things and pretty, pretty straightforward. The satisfaction that we all crave and then the satisfaction that God offers. The satisfaction that we all, wherever you are spiritually, whatever you consider yourself to be spiritually, Christian, non-Christian, skeptic, in process, whatever. The craving that we all have. The satisfaction that we crave. And then the craving, uh, the, the satisfaction that's offered. All right, first off, what we crave. Now, here's the thing. In both the text that Beth Blessing read earlier from Isaiah 55 and in these texts from Revelation... God does not fault people for having thirst. God doesn't say, you know, it's never enough, is it? I make this beautiful paradise, and you ruin that, and then I sustain you in the earth, and I make this amazing earth, and I send you prophets and apostles, and send my, you know, it's just, it's never enough for you. No. He says, I know that you're thirsty. And that's important. I want to stop there. The problem is not having a craving. In other words whether this is from your past or whether this is you right now, if you have found yourself going, something's missing. You know, something's wrong. I, I, I'm, I like what I'm doing. I, I like my work. I like my friends. I like where I live. Uh, and I know none of it can be perfect, but I, I like my life, but something is missing. God does not look at people and say, idiot. Quit being such a malcontent. But here's, what he, here's the problem. He says, what are you going to do with that thirst? And there's an amazing passage about this. It's also from the prophets. It's in Jeremiah chapter 2. And in this little section in Jeremiah 2, God speaks. He doesn't speak to people. He speaks to the cosmos. He addresses the heavens and He says, heavens, universe, be appalled at what I'm about to tell you. Here's the shocking verdict. My people have committed two great evils. The first one is that they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And just pause right, that's unbelievable. That God identifies himself as a fountain of the right water. So, evil number one, universe, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And number two, they have dug for themselves or carved out for themselves these cisterns, these wells that will not hold water. Be appalled, universe. And why is God so upset? Because He's looking at the human race that bears His image, that He loves, that He cares about, and is saying, you are thirsty. I understand your thirst better than you understand your thirst. And I'm wanting it to be satiated. I'm wanting you to be quenched and not be that way forever and you're going to all the wrong places. Um, So many applications. We could zoom the camera way out and say, who are the first people that read Revelation? It's these Christians in these local churches in the first century who are just either going through traumatic, horrible stuff or they're facing going through traumatic, horrible stuff because of Roman persecution on Christians. And it's as if, you know, hey, why is Rome so voracious? Why is Rome so voracious that not only is it conquering and building and entertaining and and attaining, why is it so voracious that even on top of that, it kills the very citizens that should be its most submissive, its best servants, uh, the most loving. Why is it doing that? Because it craves. It hungers and it thirsts and it goes to all the wrong places to satisfy it. Now that's just kind of at a geopolitical level but you could zoom the camera way in to people in Greenville in 2013 and say "Look, let's take this sentence why can I not refrain from why can I not refrain from my phone and we laugh and I'm pro phone I'm pro water and pro phone solidly but where I I can't not check it or it pings and I just hop to and I'm not responding to people in my life that way I'm not responding to <clears throat> the scriptures that way but that thing makes a noise and I, I can't refrain I can't refrain from sweets and it's I feel stupid saying it. But I can't refrain. It's like life is so complicated and it's so hard and there's so many things that wear me down. It's like this little oasis of I'm gonna feel good for the next five minutes. Or I can't refrain from exercise. I can't not exercise. Or I can't refrain from alcohol. And just, just so we're clear, if you're visiting I'm not a teetotaler and I don't promote that. And I'm not going to war with you if you are. But there's a difference between moderate, healthy usage and if I don't have my glass of Chardonnay at 5 30, things get dicey. Those are different. I can't refrain from that. I can't refrain from social media. And and John, because of how he was taught and because of what he saw, would look at us and say, you're not abnormal, but you're thirsty. And you're drinking everything else. And when God's upset and looks at the universe and says, do you see this? Be appalled. What he's talking about is you have dug out a well that will not hold water. You've dug an empty hole. No wonder you're still thirsty. So, what is the satisfaction that God offers? And here's the thing. For the, this, is, this is a whole pack of additional sermons, but let me just give a soundbite to it. God offers this satisfaction now. This is not all a future prospect. Jesus said, look, if you're thirsty, come to me. Beautiful passage in John chapter 7, where he stands up at a feast, a feast, and says... Look, if you're thirsty, come to me. But we experience that as perishable people. We experience that in some ways to a limited degree, not because the water has a problem. The water is beautiful. But we're still fallen. You know, we sang a hymn last week that, uh, called uh, Emmanuel's Land, or the sands of time are sinking. And there's a, there's a verse in there that says this. It says... Um, Oh, Christ, He is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth I've tasted, more deep I'll drink above. In other words, when I get to the full satisfaction that awaits me in the new earth, it's not going to be different water. It's just that I'm going to show up as an unfallen person with unfallen people and finally delight in it the way I'm supposed to the earth will be what it's supposed to. We'll be what we're supposed to. And finally, this water can be to me what it ought to be. The vision that God gives, this is just incredible, takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Um, if you look in Genesis chapter 2, two of the very first things that are said about the Garden of Eden, because you don't get a ton of details about it, but one of the first things that said is that right in the middle of all the trees, it says, He's all these pleasant trees that God put there for man's enjoyment. But the one in the middle is not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's the one that got us into trouble. But right smack dab in the middle of the Garden of Eden is the tree of life. And then virtually the next thing that's said about the Garden of Eden is that from the Garden of Eden flowed this massive river that watered the garden. In fact, it was such a... Don't think little tributary, but, but something so massive that it branched out and became four more rivers. How did it form in a garden? God just made it that way. So you go all the way to the end of the Bible, and what's the image? Is that this city comes down from God, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and here's the throne of God, not in a throne room, but with man. That we're now His home, and He's with us in our home. And here's the throne of God and of the Lamb, and out of the throne flows this river. It's no longer the crystal sea, but it's this river flowing out from the throne. And it's that perfect water. And it says, on both sides of the river, I don't even understand that, is this tree. And which tree is it? It's the tree of life. It's it's the tree that after Adam and Eve sinned to protect them, he told an angel, guard the garden, do not let them to the tree of life. Don't let them persist in the condition they're in. But now, there's the tree of life. Why is it so important that that river and the tree are in such close proximity to the throne of the Lamb? Why is that so important? Did, uh, did you read the reflection on the front of the bulletin? Uh, <laughs> this week, uh, we had finished working on the bulletin. Literally, I had just emailed it to Brittany did that, got that off my to-do list, got on Facebook. And the first thing I saw on Facebook, a friend of mine had posted this stanza. And I clicked back over to Brittany and said, put this on the front of the bulletin. Because I could not believe, I could not believe how this fit. This is from a 17th century poet, George Herbert. And he's writing this from Jesus' point of view. And what does he say? Not just from Jesus' point of view, but Jesus on the cross, looking at the world. Oh, all ye who pass by, behold and see. Man stole the fruit, but I must climb the tree. The tree of life to all, but only me. Was ever grief like mine. what's, What's George Herbert saying? He's saying that the only way that we can have the tree of life, and here's the dynamic again, is if Jesus has the tree of death. And if that sounds like kind of rhetorical judo, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 said, the only way that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law, and that word curse goes all the way back to the garden, the only way that we could be re- redeemed from the curse, was for Christ to become a curse. How did He become a curse? Galatians 3.13 says, He was hanged on a tree. In Old Testament law it said, if you're hanged on a tree, your status is that you're cursed. He goes to a tree of death, so we can go to the tree of life freely. And so picture what's what awaits the people of God. And again, who are the people of God? Is it the good people? Is it the always consistent people? The people of God are those who trust Jesus Christ and say, I'm taking you at your word that if you drink that cup of wrath for me, I can have the cup of blessing. I don't even understand it all. I'm taking you at your word. If you went to that tree of death and cursing for me, That I can go to the tree of life. Those are the people of God. What awaits us? And these images are unbelievable. The drinking of the water, maybe jumping in the river and swimming in it and drinking it, and finally knowing no shoe is gonna drop. My body is clean and my mind is clean. And my emotions are... I feel the way I'm supposed to feel. You know? It's crummy not feeling good physically. And many of you have had deep experiences with that and have them right now. But it's crummy feeling bad emotionally. My body, my emotions, my thinking, the way I reason, the way I process, how I feel about myself, how I regard God, the way I treat other people. I'm washed... And I'm quenched, and it's not going to be snatched away from me. And this tree, you know, it it says in chapter twenty-two, "What's the tree for?" The tree is for partaking of. It's not just a food image; it's like a medicinal image. The leaves and the fruit. It's for the healing of the nations. I mean, think about this. Think about, you know, so much of the growth of the church is where where we are not. Think about, let's say, a 50-year-old Christian woman in Rwanda. And so let's say that when there were just these, these atrocities happening, not that it's an easy place now, but when when there was genocide and atrocities a couple of decades ago and she was maybe... Uh, you know, in her twenties or thirties. She saw things that she cannot get out of her mind. You know, you, you, could, you could medicate her. You could put her through therapy. You could pray over her and, and that could lead to a lot of benefit and flourishing. And if she doesn't have that, God takes care of her anyway, but they're just things she cannot get over. And it's the image of She from Rwanda, she goes over and she takes of the tree and she eats and she's healed. Now, it's not like unhealed people go to heaven, but it's it's an image. You know the song, Just As I Am? The one that they always sang at the end of the Billy Graham Crusades if you watched any of those on TV. I never thought about this before there's a, there's a stanza I've sung this a bunch of times and I never thought about it like this because this sounds like Revelation 22 it's talking about what's my natural condition is that I'm poor and wretched and blind what happens when God gets me to Christ and I get from Him all that God intends for me to get from Christ and the way the, the songwriter describes it is sight riches you know what the third one is? Healing of the mind. All the regrets and all the bad memories and all the anger and all the things that we saw that we didn't need to see and all the things that we experienced that we did not need to do is healed. And my body's healed. I'm healed. It's the tree of life that God intended for man from the beginning is given back to him. If you're a Christian, I want to say this to you. I, I don't want to diminish the reality that the living water that Christ offers now, it is the living water. Christ will quench your thirst now, but we experience him as fallen people. And if you're coming here this morning and saying, you know, I I like what I'm hearing. I love what I'm hearing this morning. But the way my life really works is that, you know, I open my Bible and I'm just flat. And then I decide I want to buy something. Then I get on Amazon to research which version of the thing I want to buy. I get on there for 30 minutes and I'm just energized. What's the matter with me? Christ is going to fix that. And I don't want to give us a pass on neglect of the Word or prayer or, or any of those means that He works through, but I just the good news is He's going to fix that. Um, the last thing I want to say is this. This book of Revelation, did, did, what, is, what is the parting note of the Bible? It's, it's a chorus of voices. It's God... And the church and, the, and the, the, the new heavens and the new earth saying to people who are thirsty, come, come on. And I want to I wanna say it yet one more time before we wrap this book up. If you're here and either you know that you're not a Christian or you're not sure... Listen, I, I get it that there is so much about the church and Christians and or me or us that can rub you the wrong way about the whole Christian. What I want you to see is God looking at thirsty people saying, I want you to have the water that will satisfy you. Will you come? He has the authority to command, but it's an invitation. Come. Come. He has to grant you the right to eat of the tree of life. We don't deserve it. He has to grant you access to the river, the waters of life. We don't deserve it, but He will. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, this is good news. This is good news. Would you enable us to hear it as such? Lord Jesus, you who let yourself be thirsty at a well, so that a woman with multiple husbands and a man who wouldn't commit to her would stop being thirsty. You who let yourself be thirsty so she wouldn't be thirsty. Oh, Lord, we pray that you'd work in us so that we stop running after our own water, our, carving our own cisterns and wells. Whether we're doing so as people who know you or who have never known you, draw us to the Lamb from whom comes the living water, and give us the tree of life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.